0: Good morning. morning. All right. I like that positive energy. Good to have you guys here this morning. Um, Hey, if I haven't had the chance to to meet you yet, my name is Jesse. And uh, for the most part, I uh, have the great privilege to preach God's word on Sunday mornings. And I'm part of a, a great pastoral team here and elder team that loves this church and loves the community. So nice to uh, hopefully meet you here soon. Um, We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. One of the guys, uh, just and keep your hand up. One of the guys will hand you one. Um, And I just want to mention a couple things uh, as we kind of get ready to get into the, the message. The first one is we did launch an app a little while back. Uh, There are a lot of new folks coming to church here, and we're trying to get to know you, trying to get you plugged in, Uh, and uh, the app is a great way to do that. There's a place to sign up there for the newsletter that we send out every week. Also, if you're a little bit more old school and you're like, hey, I don't want the government tracking me, we, we understand that as well. Inside your bulletin you were handed this morning, there's a little perforation in there. Just fill that out. Uh, Drop it in the offering box or put it in the info booth, and uh, we'll put you uh, on the list to get our newsletters and and get you connected. Um, And then On the App has all the events and all of that, so we're trying to get as much information to you as easily as possible. And so there are many ways you can find out uh, of what's happening uh, in our church. We are very active on all the social media platforms. Uh, So if you're on there, make sure you follow Seer Bible Church on Instagram or Facebook or what have you. Um, We're not on Snapchat because it's stupid. And so, um, but we, uh, actually we think all of it's kind of stupid, but we use it for the glory of the Lord. Uh, And then the app is a great, you can turn notifications on to let you know when events are coming up and things like that. Um, So make sure you're either visiting the website or what have you because I cannot... I cannot over-communicate all the things that are happening. There's just so much. Uh, Fall is kicking off all kinds of events, so Awana is starting, and Awana is, yeah, I know if you're an Awana person, you love this program. It's been with us for well over 30 years. It's a tremendous program. We need volunteers. We need helpers. And so, again, if you're new, you're looking for a place to serve and get plugged in and get to know people, Awana is the place to do this, you'll find some contact information in your bulletin for that. That's inside. We put an insert in there, uh, and that's kicking off here in the next week. So uh, make sure you uh, either start sending your kids there because they're going to learn about Jesus and they're going to learn about the Bible, or start serving. In addition to that, um, we're in a season again. A lot of new folks, but we're still doing ministry. We we need more volunteers in children's church as well. So Joe Casey, who actually is fitting into Brad's position. He's taking care of all the things behind the scenes and he's still along with his wife helping out with Children's Church. They need volunteers for that as well. The well is starting tonight. So, if you're a young adult and you know a young adult, you're going to want to be here tonight. John Drollinger is going to be facilitating that next door, upstairs in what we call Ray Hall. Some of you are like, Ray Hall, i got to remember these things. Ray Hall was named after a pastor that used to be here years and 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 years ago. And Long time ago. And it's still uh, called Ray Hall. That's upstairs uh, in one of our really killer rooms. They would call it our stampede room. So check that out if you're a young adult um, and uh, come. It'll be great. Financial peace is coming up. So get out of debt. Get your finances in order. That's starting up here this week as well. Mentor groups for the women. Tracy Cuno is helping facilitate this if you're a gal and you want to get plugged in uh, to a women's kind of group and have some mentoring. About five to seven gals get together. Uh, and mentor one another. Plug into there. In addition to that, um, there is the mags groups for men, community groups for families as a whole. All of those things are starting up this month, so if you're looking for a way to get plugged in, you have no excuse. To peruse our website, find all the goodies on there, and uh, get to know some people. Um, women's Retreat is coming up also. Aren't these killer graphics too, by the way? I just think they're awesome. Yay, art guy. Um, and, uh, and then we've got a couple Bible studies that we want to highlight uh, for the ladies. My wife's leading one of them. Laura Osnes is leading the other one. Both are tremendous Bible teachers. Get plugged in. Okay? So download the app and uh, get on the Internet. Get plugged in. You ready to get in the Word? Okay. Colossians chapter 3. Um, we're not going to stand quite yet which is what we normally do, Um, we're we're gonna get there, because I just wanna do a little bit of work um, up front before we read the text as we kinda typically do for context and clarity. The title of the message this morning is setting the mind above or setting the mind on the things that are above. So let me kinda pose the question for you. You know, what have you set your mind on in the last week? The reality is is the mind is never neutral. It's always setting itself on something. Uh, Maybe this last week, my guess is, uh, for many of you, just like it, it was for me, your mind was kind of set on what was happening with the Caldor fire and, and what was occurring there. And I, I, You know, I'm always kind of interested in when new kind of radical events happen, how I find out about new modes of information or new things of information I didn't know exist. I had no idea that there literally is a website and an app that you can, like, track the wind and see where the wind is going. I didn't know that until this week. So my mind was set on that. Uh, this week, praying for obviously the lake and praying for the people and praying for homes, but also at the same time praying for our firefighters. Which I just have to say, they have done an amazing job steering this beast. <clears throat> and we've got several guys that are in the fire department. We're thankful for them, but man, they have just uh, they've just done an amazing job. And I think that, along with God's grace, and just to see literally how parts of the fire just jumped over. Uh, communities and over houses and, and oh man, God's good. Maybe your mind has been set on those things, and Paul's going to talk to us a little bit about what it means to set our mind on God and above on the things above and not on the things of earth. Now remember, the Colossian church is dealing with what is called the the Colossian heresy or the Colossian heresies. Uh, essentially, what has occurred is this church has been planted by Epaphras, who was a disciple of Paul's, a convert of Paul's. And Epaphras has traveled from Colossae to Paul. Paul's in prison. And he's basically has told Paul, hey, we've got this church and it's growing and it loves Jesus. However, they're starting to adopt ideologies from the culture. They're starting to adopt some of the religious regulations into Christianity and it's losing a little bit of its foundation and its grace. And so Paul understands, okay, the... Colossian church is mixing things of the world into the church, and it shouldn't be doing it. So what Paul does is he spends, and this is where we've been for the last couple months, he spends the first three chapters on Christology. Christology is just a big word for the study of Christ. Really what he is doing is he's, he's building up our, our intellect and our minds to understand the fullness and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Essentially Paul's whole argument is you don't need you don't need some kind of secret knowledge. You shouldn't be worshipping angels and other saints. All you need is Jesus. It's that simple. All you need is the grace of God. Focus on the sufficiency of Christ. And so he writes the the letter and he does this just so you know, he does this on multiple occasions and multiple books that Paul has written within the Bible and it's obviously all by the Holy Spirit's work, but the beginning of a book, whether it's Colossians or Ephesians or Philippians, it starts out with Christology or doctrine, theology. This is what you should know. This is why you should know it. Then it moves into practical living. And that's what, where we're entering into in chapter 3. It's a pivoting point. The first, three, first two chapters, I'm sorry, Christology, the next couple chapters are going to be on how does that Christology, how does our understanding of Jesus play out in our lives? I want to read to you Colossians chapter one verse fifteen. So, if you are already in the book, uh, you you can just turn there because Colossians one fifteen is the reminder of why we need to be living out these things and, and what's important. It's it's the best passage, at least in Colossians, of helping us understand in a packaged way who Jesus is. Let's let's read this. Colossians chapter one verse fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Oof, oof. That there is, is like you, if you're having a bad day, you take that verse to remind yourself of the God that you worship and the God who holds you together. In multiple places, it says in this passage that he has reconciled to himself those who were once alienated. That is, he has brought us back into relationship, back into the fold. Now, with that Christology, Paul then gets into some practicality here, and that's where we're going to pick up. In chapter 3. I got three points this morning. What is real? Point one. What is our relentless pursuit? Point two. And what is the revelation it all hinges on? Point three. What is real, relentless pursuit, and revelation? Setting our minds on the things above. Would you please stand with me as we honor God's word? From chapter 3, just four verses, and we will dive in to this thing. If then, because of the Christology, because of who Jesus is, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Lord, just four verses. And we know that they are deep and they are profound and that they have the ability to change us. I pray that you would allow our minds to be clear. I pray you would help me for my mind to be clear, still trying to get in the the rhythm of preaching twice on a Sunday and trying to communicate well how good and how great and how beautiful you are. Would your power be sufficient for us in our weakness this morning? In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, first point, what is real? What's the reality? The reality, according to Paul, in these first four verses, the reality in which we need to start setting our minds into is this reality that we have been raised with Christ. Verse 1. We have been raised with Christ. This literally means that we have a shared life with Christ. Romans chapter 9. Now, I have to say this every now and then because I know it's small. And some of you are like, I have to say certain things so you don't give me a hard time after the service or in an email or what have you. How come you're not using all of the screen? Well, it's because we still have people watching online. And when they watch online, there's a little screen of me. This happens. Dan is able to put a little picture of me on there with the, the scripture. And so it's just super important that while you're at home, you see my face and the verses. Okay? It's for whatever reason, it's a high-priority deal. It's just better for all parties, right? Um, so that's why. And uh, this is what it says in Romans 6 in regards to the reality that we're raised with Christ. Starting in verse 3, Do you you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For we have been united with him in his death like his, and we shall, shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. This is the reality. Again, Paul's pushing back. He's saying, he's essentially saying the reality of these ideologies and philosophies, that's not realities. Those those things are fallacies. But the reality that you're raised with Christ, that's the reality that you need to know and you need to walk in. Here's the good news with the idea of being raised in Christ. It means that the life of Christ is yours, the death of Christ is yours, the resurrection of Christ is yours. Those things that are true of Christ are also true of you. What this means is when you became a Christian, all of your past, all of your mistakes, along with all of its shame and power have been buried in the grave with Jesus. Has anyone ever made any past mistakes they regret? Here's the goodness of Jesus in the gospel. They're in the grave. Now, here's what's important to note, because sometimes this can occur within a Christian's life, and it does occur. I've seen it happen many times. You become a Christian, you know your sin is forgiven, so you begin to walk with Christ in the newness of the resurrection, and then inevitably what happens? You fall down. And then you wonder, am I saved? Was I ever saved? What does God do with that sin? And then if you're anything like me, and you've been married, and you have four kids, you come to the reality that we always will be dealing with what is called indwelling sin. We're always going to be wrestling against the flesh and falling down. And what's really neat, I'm not a Greek scholar, as I wish I was, but I know enough and have enough tools to let you know that what is being written in chapter 3, as well as what is being written in in Romans 6, is a happening, it's a, it's, the best way to put it is is the context in which it is, is it's past, present, and future. So the way that it's worded in the Greek is kind of like this. you You were saved in the past. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus knew that you would be his before you were even born. Before you ever did anything good or evil. That's Romans 9. Before anything you ever did, you were his. Then Jesus came, he intervened in your life, you got saved, and then you are going to be saved. So there's three tenses in which salvation occurs within Scripture. Past tense, present tense, future tense. The past tense is before the foundation of the world. Again, Ephesians 1. The current tense is is that you are being saved. That's the process of sanctification, which is growing and overcoming hurdles and all of that. And then the next one is one day we're going to pass from this life and go to the next. So what he's saying here is he's saying, when you've died with Christ and the life of Christ is yours, your guilt and your shame from your past sin is dead. Your guilt and your shame from present sin is dead. And the guilt and shame that you will have in the future is dead. And now what exists is the new man. That's a deep, profound, theological truth that the Christian must embrace so that they will actually have any hope of battling sin or overcoming the world. Are you with me? Now here's Paul again. This reality, we're raised with Christ. Now I'm going to kind of go to a place here. Just work with me as I try to circle around to the big idea. With that being said, when we've walked with Christ and we have Christ, we know that then we begin to embrace the mission of Christ. The church, to simplify Three kind of major missions. Can I, I'm going to break them down into three. They're not the only ones. Uh, I'm oversimplifying for the sake of time, so no one write me and say that's not full or sufficient. But the, the first one is this. The church exists for the glory of God. Okay? You say, why do we exist? Why was I created? What is my purpose in life? To raise up the glory of God. Period. The glory of God. His glory matters. The second one is to empower the saints. The job of the church, glory of God, empowering the saints, strengthening the saints. This is the language we use in regards to discipleship. Right? It is the church's obligation to disciple and strengthen you to do the work of the ministry. The third one then, which ties into the message, have your mind not on the things of the world, but those things in the heavenly realm Part of the mission, in addition to his glory and discipleship, is to reach lost people. To be on his mission. That we would reach the world. That we'd reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every group, whether rich, whether poor, whether homeless, or living in a mansion. Jesus wants everyone to hear the goodness of who God is. John 17, 18, the reality in that resurrection Jesus says this as he's praying to God the Father, is you sent me into the world, so now I send them into the world. If you're a Christian, part of your identity is to propagate the gospel of Jesus everywhere you go. I mentioned it in the first service, and it bears repeating in the second service. There are just some people who are just naturally good at this, yeah? I mean... I think even to a small degree, when you sit down in a public restaurant, whether that's Donner Lake Kitchen or wherever it might be, and before the meal, you're with your Christian brothers and sisters, and you pray out loud, and others around you can hear you praying. On occasion, um, uh, I go to the gym. Not on occasion. I go very regularly, can't you tell? Uh, And um, (laughs) and, uh, so stupid, sorry. Sometimes I can't help myself. So on occasion, I I go on occasion, um, I've started to develop a little bit of a relationship with Gavin. How many of you know Gavin? Which one? Not the one we hate. Um. (laughs) It's a regrettable moment. We love everyone so oh Lord so um so Gav- if you haven't met Gavin you'll, you'll know him he 's really loud and very he man got you guys you got to know Gavin's story. I mean i didn't share this in the first service, but i 'll share it with you guys and Gavin would have no issue with me sharing this. Um, before coming to Christ, he was living basically in a in a a, a container, a train container, totally methed out on drugs, and he felt like he needed Jesus, so he started searching stuff online and, and ended up accepting Jesus as his savior and now you know he's at William Jessup, and he's, he's trying to grow in his faith, and he just he loves the Lord. He who has sinned much loves much i mean he's, he's one of those individuals that he's had a very gnarly background, and Jesus saved him, and now he has a very gnarly <laughs> kind of Christianity. And I say it because because we talk about the mission is to reach the world. I'm going to circle with this a little bit and hopefully hit some things home. I, I've gone to the gym with Gavin on a few occasions. Anytime we go somewhere, Gavin's sharing the gospel with anybody, with no shame, like zero shame. To the point where, where one time we were in the gym and— we had worked out and we were showering and he turns on his phone in the shower and he's worshiping out loud in the shower and i'm even like whoa dude tone it down (laughs) you know like but he's just putting it out there just sharing his faith and then he he recently he, he worked the other week 75 hours doing lift rides and he when you hear him talking about you know what lift is right you pay to have someone drive you somewhere. So he's, he's being paid to drive people everywhere. 75 hours the other week he worked for And you know what? He loves it because he's like, dude, they're in my car, and they're stuck there, and I'm <laughs> preaching the gospel to them. <laughs> so here, here's what's important. You know what? And, and sometimes for some people it's like, whoa, that's a bit much. But at the same time, it is our job and obligation to preach the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. There's only one way for good news to come out. You have to proclaim it. It has to be a proclamation. And so we want to reach the world. Now there's tension here because he so said, wait a minute. Paul says, says here, set your minds on the things above, not on the things below. Put your mind in heaven, not on the things of earth. And so here's the reality. If we're going to reach the world, if we're going to reach the world, we must leave the world. If we're going to reach the world, we must leave the world. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus said it another way. My kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is from another world. And that reality, living in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, desiring to reach the world, we must leave the world, which means we must settle into the new kingdom or the new world that is Christ's. How do we do that? Well, we first identify ourselves as being raised with Jesus. That's our identity. We have a shared life with Christ. The second thing is you have to learn to be okay with being a stranger in this world. You have to be okay with not belonging in this world. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, We are strangers and exiles in this world. We literally are refugees. Philippians 3.10 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're eagerly waiting for the Savior to come and get us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, He urges us as sojourners and exiles to keep our conduct among the Gentiles, honorable that they may not speak of us as evildoers. If you don't feel like you belong in the world, it's because you don't. In fact, I would almost push even further and say if you do feel like you belong in this world, or if you pine and long for the world to accept you, that isn't the gospel. The gospel is hey, you are going to be an alien, you don't belong here, you're not made for this world. You're made for another one. C.S. Lewis said something along those lines. If you're constantly longing for something else, it's probably because we were created for something else. Right? When Paul says, set your minds on things above, he's helping us to remember that the things of the earth don't satisfy. They'll never satisfy. That what we need is a greater view of the resurrected Jesus that teaches us that our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. And what's so beautiful about that as you're setting your mind on those things is it helps you reach the world which allows us then to understand that if we're going to be strangers or aliens in this world then we also have to understand that we need to be reformers in this world. We need to be willing to want to change the world to be conformed as, as Romans tells us don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind that by testing you may be what the will of God is what is good, acceptable, and and perfect. We have to get into a place of understanding that God has placed us in the culture that we're in to proclaim the goodness of Jesus so that the world would change and be a better place because of Jesus and because of Christianity. I'm actually very, very thankful for the last 18 months of contrast between the church and the world. Right? Because we have an understanding that we are His and we belong to Him. When we're rooting our minds in the things that are above and not the things on earth, we're no longer focusing on the narrative of the culture, but we're focusing on the narrative of the gospel. And one of the things I encourage, encourage people to do, you've got to read the old dead guys. you got to go read dead guys. Right? you got to go get those books. Find out what made John Owen tick. Find out what made Charles Haddon tick. Find out what made some of these old reformers tick because... Because they lived in a dark age, and a dark world, and they brought light and life back into the world because of the simplicity of the gospel. I mean, dead seriously, one of the things that helped America start out in such a great place, though we definitely have had our sins and made mistakes, was because of the Puritans. And the Puritans had a deep love for the gospel a deep desire to preach the gospel. And it was the Puritans who started to say, we're really free. In fact, what we're being able to communicate as a church in a time like this is not the narrative of fear, but really the narrative that the church is the only free place. That Christians are the only ones who really have true freedom. To say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. And to be able to live not in chaos, but in a place of peace. And man, they're... There is stuff for us in the heavenly realm, isn't there? The reality of the resurrected with Jesus Christ, Jesus is telling us you've got to be in the world because your mind is, is in heaven, but, but at the same time, you've got to continually just wrap your mind in the things of God from above. C.S. Lewis says it really well. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most in the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And what is Lewis's whole point? His whole point is if you want to follow church history, you want to follow the place that we're at, if you want to transform the world, if you want to make the world a better place, you have to preoccupy your mind with the realities of the things that are above. The essence that the Christian is unified and hidden within Jesus Christ. And that he is our resource in an ever-present, dark world, isn't he? If I was to package this in a statement, it would be this. We have moved from death to life, and we are hidden in Christ. We have moved from death to life, and we're hidden in Christ. And because of this great reality that we have the resurrected, shared life with Jesus, right? Are you with me this morning? You share your entire being with the resurrected Christ. Your life is his life. His life is your life. You are hidden in Christ. So one day when you appear before God the Father and you go, what say you? I don't know, he's answering for me. And you just stand right behind Jesus. (laughs) The wrath has been laid out. Oh, okay. Come in to heaven. Come be In heaven. And then once we understand that reality, we move into our relentless pursuit. Point two our response. Which is right here in the text. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek, seek the things above. Seek them. The word connotates with pursuing chase them, track them down, seize them, hold on to them, gaze at them, dig into them, understand them, taste them, savor them, treasure them. These things above. The way that Jesus says it, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be given to you. He also says that you have this mind in Christ. Set your minds on the things above, pursue them, chase them, run after those things. So a few months ago, I think it's been a couple months, My uh, wife and I adopted um, a dog. Because what we needed in our home was more DNA. More people, more living things, more things to feed. And uh, he's been a great dog. He's been great with the kids. He loves the kids. And he's been a ton of fun. Great addition. And I've noticed something about our dog. Um, The first one is he absolutely loves food. Like absolutely adores it. We left a chicken carcass on the counter, and it was gone in two minutes. We didn't give it to him on purpose. It was an accident. We have a a little closet, and we keep our doggy treats on the closet. Whenever it's time to get him to sit or shake hands, which he does, we walk over. We want to play with him. We walk over to that closet, start to turn the door. You know what happens as soon as I go near that door and start to turn that handle? Dog runs over. I don't have to tell him to sit because he knows if he's going to get a treat, he has to sit. So he already sits and he immediately begins to drool. And the reason is because he knows, is infatuated with, is desiring and longing for the treat that is to come. This is what Paul is saying. Pursue, savor, taste, long for, yearn for these things that are in heaven above know that they're beautiful and that they're a big deal. In fact, the the Bible actually characterizes the things above in heaven. When you look at it, a kind of modern way to say it is heaven is filled with good food and concerts. And it's a wedding feast. In fact, I mean, just, just trip out on this with me for a moment. Jesus lives this perfect life because he knows you and I can't. He dies on the cross to take the wrath of God, which we clearly deserve because of the sin that exists in us. He's laid into a grave to be forgotten about. His own disciples think that he's died. Just a few moments earlier, Peter's denied him three times. Uh, Right after Peter said, wherever you go, Jesus, I'll go. Then Jesus is resurrected from the dead, goes down to the beach, eats food with Peter, tells Peter to build the church, and then later tells the rest of the guys, just so you know, guys, the best thing for the church the best thing for the propagation of the gospel, the best thing for the world to know the reality of the resurrection is for me to ascend to heaven and leave the church's business to you. What? Wait a minute, God. Do you mean to tell me you're, you're... I already saw you die. Now you're here and I have you again and I'm savoring you and I want you and we're eating together and... What do you mean you're going to go? And Jesus' response is, it's good because I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. But it's good that I go. I have to go. It's good for you that I go because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I mean, imagine that. That's what our great, awesome, beautiful Savior is currently doing right now. The wedding supper of the Lamb, he's up in heaven preparing that place for us. And, and, and if you imagine, he's, he's setting the table. He's getting the food ready. He, he's building the arch. He's getting the doors. He's decorating the rooms. He's getting ready for the bride of Christ's arrival. He's preparing a place. He's getting the angels ready. He's organizing it. Right now in heaven, our Savior is preparing the heavenly place. And we have the audacity to say, well, wait a minute, Lord, I don't have this. And wait a minute, God, I sure could use more of that. And he's like, you have no idea what's coming. I'm preparing you. I'm preparing the church. You're not to be passive in this. You're to seek the reality of what is true, that Jesus Christ is preparing that place for us in heaven. As one pastor says, I am in Christ. I am hidden in him. That means I am in solidarity with him. I think of myself as loved by God as he is. I think of myself as there in that sense. I relish that. I rejoice in that. I treat myself in that. I never stop reflecting on it. I work in it. I set in it. I put in it. I think about it every day, and I have to remind myself, otherwise I forget the greatness and the honor that I have had bestowed upon me. Do you hear what he's saying? You've got to drive your mind into the promises of God. I want the world to be different. Drive your mind in the heart of God, into the heart of the gospel. You know, I'm learning over the years when I tell stories about my kids to not mention their names. So I'm going to share a story with my kids. And it's about one of my kids, not the one that I normally talk about. It's a different one. (laughs) As someone in the church uh, blessed my family and I with um, some yellowfin tuna. Fresh-caught yellowfin tuna, probably a few hundred dollars worth of fish. Just just amazing good fish and we pull it out you know and we we sear it up you know season it up and that's kind of been a treat for us because my wife and I we really love fish and and we've not really had that kind of fish all that often at home and so the learning how to season it learning how to sear it uh, you got to be careful with that stuff it'll make your house really smoky and set all the alarms off and um trying to figure all that out and and you know it's just a pleasure my wife makes some great white rice for the kids and some carrots and some sesame seeds and we do little these little uh you know yellowfin tuna bowls with the kids and my wife and i we we know what this is this is this is gold found in the sea and my kids don't though and so one of my kids starts to complain that they don't like fish i just co- totally upset that they're gonna have to eat fish. And I, I, you know, we've told our kids before, you got to be thankful. you got to know what you have. You have to know how good you have it. And, it's, you know, you can say it, but it's not settling in. And so I just, sitting there at the dinner table, I, I decided to get over here, brought all the kids over. They all came over by me by the, uh, came over by me to, to watch the video. And once everybody came by me, the dog snuck in the kitchen, ate something on the counter, and then... Um, And I showed them a video of the kids in Yemen. And what's happening with kids in Yemen and the starvation that they're experiencing. And here, my kids are seeing kids their age on the laps of their parents with barely any tissue on them at all. And the tone of the table, the tone of the room just settled. It was a hard conversation. Not sure if it will produce lasting fruit of gratitude. Even for us as adults, we have a tendency to want to have more and to wish that things were better and and to have life work out in a better way. But what Jesus is saying is, is you have everything. That was my mother. She can't spank me anymore, so... See, what what this particular quote is telling us is if, if we're not driving into the gratitude and driving into the realities of heaven, if we're not, as my second point in relentless pursuit is being expounded upon, if we're not pursuing these things, we will forget. We will forget how beautiful it is to be chosen by God. We'll forget that he has set his affection upon us. That we're called beloved and that we are unique and we have been set aside, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his glorious affection for you and I. So we must meditate and pray and Sabbath and dive in to the word of God. We've got to saturate our minds with relentlessly pursuing the goodness of the things in heaven so that the things of earth will grow strangely dim. My wife and I, have, we, we've been talking, as as I'm sure many of you have, with how close the fires have been. What if, what if that happens here? You know, do we get a bug out bag? Do we start preparing? And My wife and I basically just landed on, we get the kids, we get in the car, and we let God figure everything else out. And if we lose it all, we've we've not really lost anything. Right? We know that God has our back. And we know that our material goods are not going to make us happy. And we don't want to teach our kids that the things of earth are are to be something that, that they need to worry about or take care of. I mean, God, I've been so guilty of trying to get my kids to take care of the things on earth. Organize that, pick that up, leave that alone, clean up the table. And my kids are the constant reminder of Christ yelling back at me, it's all going to burn anyway, Dad. (laughs) And to let it go. Sometimes kids have the greatest gospel. Setting your mind on the things above and pursuing them and running after them then Paul leads us to our last place of great revelation of which everything hinges on. Verse 3. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul's speaking of what is called the second advent. We've already had one advent. We celebrate that every Christmas. Currently, the staff is already praying through and working through things that we would celebrate Christmas as a church well. Already talking about Night of Bethlehem, Christmas Eve services, to celebrate the reality that Jesus came as a baby. That Advent was a reminder to those who were longing and waiting that the Messiah was true and the Messiah is here. Before that first Advent, the people of God were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah comes. The Messiah dies on the cross. He purchases the souls of those who are lost. He absorbs all of God's wrath. And then he ascends into heaven with victory over death. So Paul could later say that after that advent, death no longer has sting. It no longer has victory. Disease has lost its power. All that have, has been purchased by Jesus on the cross is now his. But we're in between Advents. One of the greatest things we can think or imagine, one of the greatest news that I can give you this morning is there's another Advent coming. But he's not coming as a baby. One pastor says this about that day. The Bible makes that great great day of the Lord a pretty scary event for most of humanity. Most of humanity, as Scripture does teach us, will We'll want mountains to fall on them, to hide them. But there will be no place to hide. Every act of treason, every act of rebellion, every errant word, every bit of wickedness, every bit of self-exaltation, every bit of narcissism, every act of forget you, God, I'm smarter than you, is laid before you and God. That's true for those who are not hidden in Christ. If you're not hidden in Christ, the great day of the Lord, the second advent, is going to be a pretty scary, dramatical day. But the Bible tells us that for those of us who are in Christ, what that great day of judgment looks like. I want to read to you, and if you have time to do so, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. And I want to read just a good segment of this passage before we close and take communion. Because this revelation, because of the reality of Jesus... In his pursuit of us, and our pursuit of him, this is what the day of the return of the Lord will look like. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, "King of Kings, Lord of Lords." Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to the birds that fly directly overhead, "Come gather for the great Supper of God." Oh Lord. You want to know the contrast here? Those who are not hidden in Christ, they will pay for their sins. It's sad. That's why we have to share the gospel so that people will not perish. But you know who is wearing these white robes? Who is the army of God? It's the saints coming to take back what was always his. This is the bride of Christ coming to renew, coming to redeem, coming to remake, and coming to take back occupied territory. This is God's earth. Now, I'm no Mr. Forth-telling guy. I'm not going to stand up here and give you prophecies of this is going to happen and this isn't going to happen. I just don't have that knowledge and I just don't know. But what I do know is it sure does seem like that day is coming closer and closer. And if I'm real honest with you, I want it to happen now. Hasn't it been more true than ever, at least in our culture, that this world offers very little hope or answers? That it is decaying and dying? And it is in desperate need, longing for, yearning for, groaning for Jesus to come. Tear it asunder, Lord. I'm ready to go home. And when that day comes, the world will truly know who he is. And we will truly know that we've always been his. Amen. Would you stand with me as we partake in communion together? At the end of each message, I've been trying to bring this back since we're back indoors. Just for time of reflection in the week, I'm sure as um, we solidify some things. Just I know some of you are aware, uh, Joe has taken over Brad's position and Amy Craft. We've hired her. She starts in November. and. Some of this stuff will be easier to get out to you um, on the admin side. So we're a little weak admin side right now, but we won't be for long. And this stuff will be online for you soon. But I want you to ask a few questions this week. If you're truly raised with Christ, how serious are you about the things of God? I think the church needs to be thinking about how serious it is with its relationship with the Lord. How heavenly or earthly minded are you? Maybe you failed in that in this week. but This at least will be a step in the right direction to do a better job in that regard thinking heavenly? In what ways do you plan to pursue and grow in him in the coming week? An obvious question, are you ready for Advent number two? And it's a great Sunday, I think, with this message to partake in communion, to be reminded of the reality that Jesus has accomplished what we needed to be accomplished. Uh, soon we'll go back to normal communion. We still had some of these in stock and you know, like I said, everyone's got an opinion on things. And so anytime we do these little Catholic COVID communion cups, I call them, <laughs> I always get people, when are we going to go back? When are we going go back? This will probably be the last time. But just remember, it's not about the elements. It's what the elements represent. and They represent and remind us of that unity of Christ that we just talked about, the oneness we have with him, the forgiveness we have with him, his body, is now our body. Pure, righteous, and perfect. That's why when we show back up on the scene, we wear white robes because we're pure. And then, of course, we're reminded that the liquid in the cup reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That a payment needed to be made, and that payment needed to be perfect, and that payment was perfect in the blood that Jesus shed for us. So, Jesus, we remember you. We thank you, and we honor you for what you have done for us. And we ask that you fill our hearts with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you have done, that we may have our minds set in heaven so that we can save those in the world that need your saving grace. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. God is good, amen. Let's sing, and then afterwards, let's fellowship, rub shoulders with one another, and love one another as Christ has called us to. God bless you. Hope to see you next week.